Praise the Lord. His heart and our mind and our soul belongs to Him. That's exactly what Jesus tells the scribe. He tells, he asks them, what is the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus answered and said, you've answered well. You're not too far from the kingdom of God. Amen. So this morning, um, let's look to the Lord in prayer and ask God for His presence here this morning. He's here. He's here in our midst. And even as we meditate upon His word, let's seek His blessing and an unction upon the speaking and the hearing. Father, we just want to thank you this morning for your goodness and your mercy. You're an awesome God. Mercy endures forever. And this morning, even as we now meditate upon your word, speak to our hearts. Anoint us. Your word says, O Lord, if anyone wills to do his will, he will know whether the teaching is mine or or is is it of God. I pray, Lord, all of us, O Lord, even as we listen to your voice, we will submit our will to the authority of your word. To that end, I pray that you would anoint us and bless us even in the speaking, hearing, and the obeying of your word for us today. We thank you, we praise you for in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 17, we looked. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We've been learning about the gospel. The gospel is the gospel of the kingdom. We've been learning that in the kingdom of God, only the will of the king goes. It's the word of the king, which is the constitution of the kingdom, right? And this is something which we fight all our lives. The flesh, that is, not the spirit, which is born of God. That cannot sin. That doesn't rebel. But the flesh always is contrary to the spirit and spirit is contrary to the flesh so that you do not do the things that you wish to do or you want to. Therefore, the prayer Jesus asked his disciples to pray is what? Hallowed be thy name and thy kingdom come. Thy will be done and if anyone wills to do his will. That should be our aim. Lord, let my will be to do your will. I don't want to live the rest of my life living for myself, but I want to do your will. So this morning I wanted to look look at some very important, I mean, looks, we looked at it in several contexts, but explicitly Jesus points out some very important attitudes which are directly related to the kingdom of heaven. He says, if you have this attitude, Kingdom of heaven is yours. Okay. Explicitly. I mean, there are certain, 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 uh, um, verses which, which are implicit and there are certain, uh, certain verses which are absolutely black and white. He says, if you have this, then you are in the kingdom. If you have this kind of an attitude, that is what, um, 
the kingdom of, of heaven is of course yours. Let me look, let us look at some of the verses before we go into the meat. It says in Matthew chapter 5 verse 3, if you turn there, Matthew chapter 5 verse 3, it says, blessed are the poor in the spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's so explicit. Directly. If you have a poverty in your spirit, then if you have the poverty of the spirit, rather, if you have the poverty of the spirit and your, the kingdom of heaven is yours. Verse 10 of Matthew chapter 5, and you'll see it again. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sakes, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You see, a direct re- correlation between an attitude and the inheritance of the king, inheriting of the kingdom of God. 520, uh, Matthew chapter 5 verse 20. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. You see again an attitude and a direct relationship between the kingdom of heaven. 721, 721, Matthew chapter 7 verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father which is in heaven. Luke's Gospel, chapter 6, verse 20. And not ever, okay, so, okay, sorry. Then he lifted up his eyes towards his disciples and said, Blessed are you. Now, this is, this is talking to the disciples explicitly, okay. Blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Now, this explicit statements of Jesus as to who are those people who will inherit the kingdom of God. And these are the attitudes. Of course, I could, I could go through several, but I just wanted to look at these five attitudes, five attitudes, five being one of our favorite numbers. It's an odd number and a fantastic number too. So it's a, it's a, it's an attitude of the kingdom of heaven which we have to practice and inculcate over and over again because we do have it in seed form and we ask God for the watering of the water of the word like Paul plants Apollos waters and God gives the increase. So let the word of God water us and let it uh, cause us to really hunger after this kind of an attitude in our lives. Okay, so kingdom attitudes. What are those kingdom attitudes that will please God and says, yo, I'll see that in you and yours is the kingdom of heaven. So if you look at Matthew chapter 5, let's read from verses 1 to 3 and let us look at the first attitude. We looked at it in so many contexts, but I just wanted to point out certain important uh, things which I believe um, um, God laid it on my heart. And seeing the multitudes, he went on a mountain and he was seated. His disciples came to him. The multitudes didn't, but the disciples came. He went on the mountain and he came. You see, um, the law shall go forth from Zion, right? Jesus is literally, and Zion is the highest peak in Israel, in Jerusalem. Okay, That is from where the government of God is established. That's what mountains means, government. The entire Old Testament, if you look at, the law shall go forth from Zion. What does it mean? The government of the Lord will be established. And that is exactly what he's talking about. He's talking about the constitution of the kingdom. Okay. The constitution of the kingdom of God. It's interesting that he's seated. He's seated and then his disciples come to him and then he speaks. Then he opened his mouth and he taught them, not the crowds, of course the disciples, and he says, blessed are the poor in the spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If you've been following um, the um, the daily devotions that we get every morning, we've been looking at the Beatitudes, if you look at, right, and and I was just reading, on the, reading up on that 
particular day where um, we got that uh, uh, devotion and blessed are the first beatitude. Um, I just I'll read it out for you. It says, "Blessed are those who have realized their own utter helplessness and inadequacy, and who have put their whole trust in God." He's paraphrasing the beatitude: "Blessed are the poor in spirit." Blessed are those who have realized their own utter helplessness and inadequacy, and have put their whole trust in God, such a person will humbly accept the will of God and thus become the citizen of the kingdom. You see, <laughs> how, who, how does he become the citizen of the kingdom? He will humbly accept the will of God. Why? Because he is completely aware of his utter inadequacy and dependence upon God. That is, that is. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't think uh, I've seen any other better paraphrase. Uh, even J.B. Phillips, I don't think, gives such a fantastic um, paraphrase of um, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit. What does it mean? People who have absolutely realized their beggarliness. I mean, I do, the picture that comes to my mind is when you when you stop by Paradise um, Crossroads and you take the turn towards Jeevan Jyoti and you will see these guys who come to you and they are, they are absolutely dependent upon your mercy. Have you seen? They don't demand. It's like Ama, that's it. Okay, that's it. They can't. They've realized that they are totally, totally, totally dependent upon the the the, the mercy of the giver. And unless and until he hand extends his hands of uh, is your hand of mercy, he is not blessed. That's exactly what it means. Beggarliness, utter, total dependence upon. The mercy of God for his sustaining and that is, I believe, where to where every part, every person has to keep on, come back, uh, should come back to every day of his life. I'm not every day, repeatedly, I mean, I'm saying every day, I'm saying repeatedly you should come to the point in your life and you say, Lord, this is absolutely not possible with me. I'm totally, totally bankrupt without you. That is the reason why he says, be filled with the spirit. It's only the spirit which bring gives life the flesh profits nothing and without me you can do nothing the words that i speak to you are spirit and life you're absolutely dependent upon my mercy if you turn with me to psalm 133 if you look at that beautiful verses uh, one only four verses 133 psalm 133 behold how good and no sorry one 130 uh, sorry not 133 120 123 if i'm right yes 123 123. Yes. Unto, yes. 123, not 133. 123 verses 1 to 4. Unto you I lift up my eyes, O you who dwell in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of the servants look to the hand of their masters, as the eyes of a maid to the hand of a mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God until, until he has mercy. Ayah. It's like, you know, literally begging. In, 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 in India, it's even, you see that, no? I mean, you'll see how, how you can graphically, graphically imagine in your mind what it means physically until he has mercy and you say, Lord, Lord, have mercy, mercy, mercy. And then goes, have mercy on us, O Lord, have mercy on us, for we are exceedingly filled with contempt. Our soul is exceedingly filled with scorn of those who are at ease with the contempt of the proud. You see, this is, this is the attitude. Okay. Utter, total dependent upon, dependence upon God. And 
what which better place in the bible than to show a picture of a man who realizes this i believe when you come to the point in your life and you have realized this you know what happens you don't look at anybody else you just look at yourself and you realize boss i am a recipient of god's mercy and all judgment goes outside the window you want to know one such guy <laughs> who completely utterly came to the realization of his total inadequacy to be even f- be found in his presence anybody knows i mean excuse me in the old covenant who had this graphic excuse me isaiah chapter 6 yeah was one on what's look at this guy and this is remarkable you see just read verse 1 in the year that king uzziah died i saw the lord sitting on his throne we all have blind spots right we've been looking at that people in the world are blind people inside the church have blind spots yeah we have maybe planks like jesus says we have planks in our eyes we have huge planks we all have spiritual blind spots many for sure and what generally causes spiritual blind blind spots is not failure but success most of the time okay in the year king uzziah died i saw the lord sitting on the throne isn't it remarkable what a statement that is okay If, in other words as long as king uzziah is alive he cannot see that's a remarkable thing and therefore he is being pronouncing woes left right and center <laughs> if you read the entire chapter of uh, chapter 5 of uh, of isaiah he has been pronouncing woes left right and center and then he is not able to see the depravity of his own heart and then the day or the year king uzziah dies and one of i don't know which day of that year in one of his his uh, visits visits on a sabbath day possibly to the to the temple uh, he sees the lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple and if you know uh, in john's gospel chapter 12 uh, jesus talks about this statement where he uh, where where isaiah did not just see god the father he saw the lord jesus christ sitting on the throne okay the eyes i saw the lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple meaning um whenever isaiah dies we'll see and who's that isaiah If you turn with me to Second Chronicles chapter twenty-six, okay, and verse three onwards, Second Chronicles chapter twenty-six, verse three onwards, three to eight first, and then we'll see. Uzziah was sixteen years old when he became king, and he reigned for fifty-two years in Jerusalem. That's sixty-eight, okay, sixty-eight years. His mother's name was Jecoliah of Jerusalem, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. according to all that his father amaziah had done okay 16 years a fantastic start 16 years old and then it says in verse 5 he sought god in the days of zechariah who had understanding in the visions of god in fact if you if you don't have to turn to the niv niv says who instructed him in the fear of god okay he sought god in the days of zechariah who had the understanding of the visions of god in other words the word for vision is to is to see okay in other words zechariah was one guy who was dealing with the blind spots in uzziah if you want to put it that way okay the prophetic ministry always does that okay 
you're blinded like exactly what happened to david right david uh, nathan gives him a story a parable of the of the shepherd <laughs> to the shepherd boy of israel and suddenly he says you are that man he realizes he's been blinded okay god the seer also comes to david and he says choose three abc options which one do you want <laughs> okay is is called god the what seer see these are the people who see see um it's impossible i think it was tim keller who said this he made a powerful statement he says um we need to have we need to die to ourselves and only those people are who are outside of ourselves will be able to tell to speak into our lives as to how much of self is in us you see all of us every man is right in his own eyes there is a way that seems right to a man but the end thereof is death it says in proverbs chapter 30 there is a generation which is wise in its own eyes but has not been cleansed from their iniquity and from their sin remarkable story the remarkable verse in proverbs chapter 30 they 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 are wise in their own eyes they are clean in their own eyes but has still not been cleansed from their impurities because they have too many blind spots they have not come to a point where they can see and jesus i mean the bible explicitly says the day or the year when king uzziah dies i i like that the year when king uzziah dies so let's say he died in jan we don't know when when he when he died in i don't know how many days isaiah visited the temple regularly that one day god said okay i'm going to visit you in the year king Uzziah died Uzziah was 16 years old and he sought God in the days of Zechariah who had understanding in the visions of God and as long as he sought the Lord God made him prosper you see if you look at the entire bible you will see um, David fighting different wars right in first Samuel, second Samuel chapter 8 if i'm right he keeps on fighting it says the lord gave him victory the lord prospered him the lord gave him victory to the left and to the right it's very interesting every place david goes and fights the holy spirit interjects and says you know what the lord gave him victory I mean, even in our own battles, especially if we are somehow a little more cleanse. I mean, if we are increasing in our sanctification, uh, the uh, the natural progression is we get a little until God gives us a knock, tongue, and then okay, Lord, okay, I have not arrived yet. No, so we have to we have to constantly see. As long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. Now he now he went out and made war against the Philistines, broke down the wall of Gath and the wall of uh, Gabne, the wall of Ashdod, and he built cities around Ashdod and among the Philistines. And then it says in verse seven, God helped him against the Philistines, against the Arabians who lived in Gurbal, and against the Munites. And wherever he came, and verse eight. and and the and also um, uh, the ammonites brought tribute to uzziah his fame spread out as far as the entrance of egypt for he became exceedingly strong okay you see success is a dangerous dangerous thing and then you look at verse 16 look at what it says hmm? but when he was strong his heart was lifted up to his destruction that is the reason why paul says i would rather boast in my weakness for i'm when i'm weak then i'm strong see so powerful verse when we when he was strong his heart was lifted up 
to his destruction for he transgressed against the Lord as God by entering the temple of God. Isn't it interesting? It says in, in Isaiah chapter 6 verse 1, the year when King Uzziah died, he saw the Lord high and lifted up in the temple. You see, in the temple of God, there cannot be two kings. There is only one king. So two kings, impossible. Like we heard on, when, on, on, I think on, uh, Sunday, uh, pastor's uh, evening service, he was talking about, right? The place called Bhutan, when the king father, he retired, he relinquished all his authority to his son, and after that he didn't even interfere. He didn't even intermeddle in the affairs of the kingdom. Okay, there's only one king. Okay. But when, so that king has to die. Either you are king or God is king. So when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction for he transgressed against the Lord as God by entering the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar. Now think about it, no? This is exactly what success does. Whenever you succeed in some area in your life, it gives you justification to enter into certain things which you are not even called to, to do. Just imagine, no? If I'm a successful engineer, will I go and do heart surgery? I mean, it's stupid. Doesn't qualify me to do anything. And as far as the human body is concerned. I know maybe a little bit of robots, but uh, that doesn't mean that I know the, about the human body. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> See. When he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction, for he transgressed against the Lord as God by entering the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Now, where is the altar of incense? In the, in the, almost close to the Holy of Holies. Like, think about the audacity of this guy. This is what happens when pride enters your heart. Heart gets lifted up. It's like, um, Ezekiel chapter 28, your heart was lifted up because of your beauty and because of your wisdom. And you corrupted yourself. And you were destroyed. You were cast down. But even as strong his heart was lifted up to his destruction. For he transgressed against the Lord his God by entering the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. And then go on. Look at what it says. And then, so Azariah the priest went in after him. And with him were 80 priests of the Lord. And it's very interesting. The Holy Spirit says, calls them what? Valiant men. You see, you see, you need people in your, in your life who are valiant, who are, who are not intimidated by your success. A lot of people get intimidated. Oh, will I be able to speak to this fellow? This fellow is so successful. You, you're, 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 you're like you go to your, go to your office and you're not able to speak your, uh, speak the gospel to your boss. Oh, because he's so successful. Why? Why are you afraid of? We are all called. What are we called in the new covenant? We are called priests to God. Right? In the new covenant. So Azariah the priest went in after him and went and with him were 80 priests of the Lord, valiant men, and they withstood King Isaiah and said to him, it is not for you, Isaiah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. Get out of the sanctuary for your trespass. You shall have no honor from the Lord God. You think that you're, going to, you're doing a great thing? Somehow you have the right to transgress the law? It's a problem. You see, what happens is that whenever we become successful, you think that we are somehow above the law. Jesus himself says, it says, uh, Jesus was born of a woman, born under the law. 
He did not even, he says, I did not, don't think that I came to abolish the law and the prophets. Not even a jot or a tittle. Everything will be fulfilled. If you transgress the law, what should happen to you? You should die. That also will be fulfilled in me. I will die for you. Everything will be fulfilled. I will fulfill the law to the fullest. I will fulfill the law not only not only in the letter, but in the spirit. And I will also fulfill the law for those people who have transgressed the law also. I will take the punishment upon myself. Okay, So we don't take all these things for granted. That is the reason why it says in Deuteronomy chapter 17, don't have to turn there. When the king becomes a king, he should, he should not be lifted up above his brothers. What should he do? He should take the copy. He should write a, for himself the copy of the law under the supervision of the priest and keep on meditating upon it so that he doesn't become presumptuous and that, that success doesn't enter into his head. You know, m- m- the message translation uses the word. When he became successful, it entered into his head. It's remarkable, no? Great danger. And you, you think that you are above God. You have, this is, this is what happens. So it says, the year when King Uzziah died. It's interesting. I believe Uzziah had a fantastic start. Right? And, uh, it says, uh, Isaiah was during the time of Uzziah. And Isaiah was royalty. And if you read the Bible, I mean, and, 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 and the scholars say that, uh, Isaiah was the, the relative of Uzziah. Because they're all royal royalty. They had some connections. So he had access to the palace. And then he had set his hopes on this king. You see. That's exactly what happened to the disciples also. We also hoped that this man would come and deliver us. But he died. See, all those hopes... On earthly kings have to have to die, including yourself. Okay, that that hope, that hope on anything temporal has to die, and that's exactly the reason why Jesus says, "Oh, you foolish ones and slow of heart to heart to believe everything that the prophets have spoken." Should not Christ have suffered first and then entered into His glory? And beginning from the from the from the law and the prophets, He expounded the scriptures concerning Himself. See, we hoped, we hoped. See, that is the reason why we don't don't put our hope in man. Don't trust, don't put your hope in man whose breath is in his nostrils, it says. Are you putting your hope in Egypt? (laughs) This this fellow Egypt, if you you lean on him, that thing will go through uh, through your fingers, through your hand. Come on, he says, you see. Blessed is a man that who put his trust in the Lord, for he shall be like a tree. Blessed is a man, cursed is a man who trusts in man, and he puts his hope in man. This is exactly what happened. That hope has to die. That king called Ua that Uzziah is. And in, in fact, if you read the entire account of kings, one, one king after another is a disappointment. Very few kings, including David, is a big disappointment. Think about it. Every king, by and large, is a disappointment, including the most holiest of them and the most righteous, Josiah. I mean, my heart breaks when I see Josiah. I'm like, hoping, Lord, this guy at least would, he would die successfully. And you'll see that Jeremiah laments for him. And I believe God, God ordained all that so that you will not ever 
put a trust in any fleshly son of David. You will put your trust in the eternal son of David who was who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh but was declared to be the son of God with power through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead by the spirit of holiness. Because not only just the Holy Spirit, he had a spirit which was justified, was absolutely holy, which was absolutely undefiled, separate from sinners. And until you put your trust in that son of David, every other hope, absolutely, on Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is singing stand. And that King Uzziah in our lives has to die. And that King, we don't even know, don't even realize that that fellow is leprous from head to toe. He's full of rebellion. What is leprosy? A sign of rebellion. Leprosy breaks out from his forehead. And he goes away from the presence of the Lord. That is the reason why he says in Isaiah chapter 1, your whole body is sick from the crown of your head to the sole of your feet. It is full of putrefying sores and bruises and all kinds of things and your and your sores have not been mollified with ointment. You see, from top to bottom, you are completely sick and you don't realize that. And person is a man who realizes that. And that year when the king Uzziah dies, Isaiah sees the Lord high and lifted up. There's only one king who's be lifted up no matter what. You see, his will goes. Whether if you obey him, his will will be established in your life. If you disobey him, his will will be established in your life. What is his will? You'll go to hell. Simple. You see, either way, his will. That is the reason why he says, don't be afraid of those who kill your body and have no power over your soul, but be afraid of him who has got the power not only to destroy your body, but to cast your soul eternally in hell. Matthew chapter 10 verse 28, if I'm right. We don't, we'll turn there, let, we'll go to that place next time. So, in the year King Isaiah died, what happens to this guy? Let's read from the next verse. <clears throat> he sees the Lord high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. The train of his robe the temple and what 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 does he see above it stood the seraphim you know what for seraphim is the burning ones who can live in the midst of everlasting burnings the word for seraph means fire fiery ones each one had six wings and these fiery ones had six wings too they covered their face because they could not behold the holiness of god they covered their feet and two they flew in other words, they cannot just even, you know, they can only hover in the presence of God. They cannot settle down in the presence of God. It's, it's that picture. But you're not comfortable there. Even the holiest of all the angels which are burning, which are, which are burning, which are so pure in, in, when compared to man, they themselves are not comfortable. They can't settle down and sit in the presence of God. They have to hover. It's remarkable. They're like drones, literally. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with His glory. How long have they been singing this? I mean, I think, how are they able to say the same thing? Every, if at all, we can divide eternity into days. Every day or every moment or every uh, heavenly second, if you can put that uh, denomination or that, uh, what is that called? Uh, calibration. If you can calibrate heavenly timing into heavenly seconds, every heavenly second they see a different dimensionality of the goodness of God and the holiness of God and the righteousness of God. And they say, they go crazy and they say, holy, holy, holy. Okay. 
heavenly angels. He sees this vision. The year when the pride in his life is destroyed. I am telling you honestly, all of us have to come to that point. Like we, some people gently come into the kingdom. Some people need a knock on their heads to come into the kingdom. And some of us are like that, including me. Paul had to get a tongue on his head before he could enter into the kingdom. One confrontation with the holiness of God. And that's exactly how I came into the kingdom. I remember it very vividly. The ladies looked at us and she said, the Bible says, honor your father and mother and you will live long. Some of you here, and she looked at me as if she connected with me. And she said, and she said, some of you here are rebels and you are living on borrowed time. You should have died by this time. Pang! The, 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 you know, the Holy Spirit just gave me a knock on my head and I said, oh my goodness. And I literally started weeping. The Spirit of God came and convicted me of myself. See, we all need, and that, I believe, Isaiah was son such guy, like he was putting his hope. Oh my God, Uzziah, you disappointed me, Gar. I put all my hope in him. And God says, hey, there's one guy who was sitting on the throne, I'm there. I am sovereign. We'll understand sovereignty in a different way today. Let me just show you certain things which, I mean, not in a different way, ways that we often look at, but we somehow miss the intensity of what God is trying to say. And one cried to another saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And then, and then he said, and the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out and the house was filled with smoke. This is vision. This is heavenly vision. It was transported. And I said, what? Who is me? I'm undone. That means I have nothing good in me now, I realize. I've come to the point where I've come to the point where what, what you call as poverty in spirit God has established. You know, that is also something which God has to give. These are all things that you cannot manufacture it by yourself. It says, God has given, uh, visited, them, visited them with the Holy Spirit, granting them what? Repentance! That leads to life. God has visited him with the Holy Spirit which grants them repentance which leads to life. When the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness because I go to my father and of, and of judgment because the prince of this world has been judged. And he says, woe is me for I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. That's exactly what it says, right? Their throat is an open sepulchre. With their tongues they frame deceit. The poison of asps is on their lips. Oh, what depiction it is. Graphic. Throat is an open grave. It stinks. Open grave. What, what do they do? They stink. Nobody goes to, to an open grave. What a depiction of the mouth of man, of the heart of man. With their tongues they frame deceit. And the poison of asps is on their lips. The most poisonous of all the snakes. It's exactly what they think that Cleopatra died of. An asp bite. She was petting an asp that was a pet and that killed her. Maybe she was using it to kill others and one day it killed her. So woe is me, I'm undone because I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of for my... What have I what I've seen? My eyes have... Who, not the Lord, the King. That's it. I've seen the King. 
Now I see the kingdom. I'm totally dependent upon his mercy. And if he doesn't extend his hand of mercy, I'm all that I'm, that, that is, that is left for me is eternal gallows. Not just execution in the body. Eternal hanging. I don't know what eternal, if you want to call it eternal hanging, eternal punishment, finished. I'm, I'm supposed to be delivered to eternal gallows. Unless he has mercy on me. Thank God he has mercy, right? God has mercy upon those who are of a humble and a contrite spirit. I, the Lord, who dwell in the, in eternity in the high and lofty place, I'm also close to them who are of a humble and a contrite spirit. The lies of the Lord are going to and fro to see, to, to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are stayed upon him and who those who hope in his mercy. Are we a people who hope in his mercy? I hope we are. A people who hope in his mercy. If you turn with me to Psalm 145, it's a beautiful verse. I hope I'll find it. <laughs> if I, Psalm 145. It's the, the Psalm of the King, okay? Yeah. 145 and verse says those who hope for them hope for mercy um, cannot find that verse hope in his mercy I think it's 141 then if it's not 145 141 no no okay anyways those who hope 140 okay 147 11 thank you Sami 147 11 yes thank you the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him and those who hope in his mercy but for those who pursue worthless idols forsake their own mercy and who's that worthless idol here in this king king Uzziah you put your hope on him see whenever you see successful people you see that's that's exactly what you want to become like I want to be like him so you cannot have two kings in one kingdom one has to die one has to humble himself one has to be instructed in the fear of the Lord and so that whatever success he enjoys, spiritual, even, okay, he doesn't ever get into his head. I want to show another example. Job 42, verse 1 to 6. Job answered and said, the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything now. In other words, you just kept me alive. I show you this verse. Now turn, turn, turn with me to James chapter 5. Beautiful verse. In James chapter 5. Verse 11. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of the of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord. That the Lord is very, what? Compassionate and merciful. You see that? In other words, you know what Job you need? <laughs> you need compassion and mercy. <laughs> you thought that you are the cat's whiskers, huh? 
your righteousness was the righteousness of God himself, huh? Really? You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. In other words, Job had to realize, Lord, I need your what? Mercy and your compassion. And therefore he says, look at what it says in Job's Job's gospel. Yeah. Job, by the way, the word for Job, you know what it means? The persecuted one, the hated one. That's what the word Job means. The very first Bible, chapter in the Bible, the book of the Bible talk, talks about the guy who's been rejected and been hated and been persecuted by the world. Awesome. Okay. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. See, one of the things that you, I would suggest, you know, either you read the book of Job in the beginning of the year or in the end of the year. I mean, generally, because not many people, oh, let me just read Job. How many of you feel like that? Today I want to read Job. Uh, it's a very, very dangerous book to read, right? I'm like, come on, today I want to settle down and this is, I want to make the book of Job my life. Not very, not many people do it. You say, let it happen, okay, whenever it happens. That's what you say. Hmm? Okay. <laughs> you don't say, I want to study it. Right? But don't avoid it. At least once a year, try to read it. It's a good book to read. and It says, better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of success. Really, honestly, you know. You learn a lot from a man who's suffering. Okay, and who's speaking out in his suffering. I know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. And then he says, you asked me, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I do not understand. <laughs> all my gyan and all the degrees that I have earned and everything out of the window. Things too wonderful for, wonderful, wonderful for me. In other words, what I have uttered, I uttered those things which I don't even understand. So that's most of the times many people, they don't understand God. They just speak something which has got nothing to do with God. That is the reason why it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we speak things with the things which Holy Spirit, what? Teaches us with the words with which Holy Spirit teaches us. Comparing spiritual things with spiritual. God has revealed it to us through the Spirit and we teach with words with the Holy Spirit. That's it. That means even the Bible, even though it's written in English or in Telugu or in Hindi or in any other language has its, has a language of its own. It's the language of the Spirit. Right? So you ask me, who is it, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what is, what I do not understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Listen please and let me speak. You said I will question you and you shall answer, answer me. And then I have heard of you by the hearing of you. But now my eyes see. I told you, right? When the king, when the king Uzziah dies in your life, I saw. I saw the who? I saw the king. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I abhor myself and I repent in dust and ashes. Why was he not? Why was he blinded? Because of his self-righteousness. A blind spot, huge blind spot. If a man trusts in his own self-righteousness, and I cause him to sin, it says in Ezekiel, all the righteous acts that, is, that he committed will not be remembered. For, but for the unrighteousness that he committed, he will die. And you say, the way of the Lord is not equal. Oh, house of Israel, are not my ways equal and your ways unequal. Therefore, I bow myself and I repent in dust and ashes is a spiritual position. That's something which we have to take every day of our lives, I think. I believe. Otherwise, it gets into our heads something. Another man in the new covenant. 
Everybody who likes Paul, but I want to look at another guy. Luke's Gospel chapter 5. I like this. I, 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 I really like this because it, it speaks to me in so many ways. So it was as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. And saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. Okay. This is what, which translation is this, bro? Okay. Actually, he says, okay, little from the land. Okay. And he sat down and taught, and taught the multitudes on the board. Okay. Thank you. And then, when he had stopped speaking, he said to him, said to Simon, launch out into the deep. First, little from the land, that is shallow waters. Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. It's a parable, basically. I believe he was teaching him a parable. It was more of a spiritual lesson than a than just a, <laughs> a lesson on fishing. <laughs> but <laughs> but Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and we caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. Then what happens? And when they had got done this, they caught a great number of, the, of fish and the net was breaking. So they signaled their partners in their other boat to come up and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. And something remarkable happens when Simon Peter, oh, saw, 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 my dear brothers. Look at what one word which is common from uh, between all these, uh, these, uh, these examples that we looked at. The word is what? See. When, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, What? Depart from me. Lord, I'm a sinful man. What, what awareness? I believe you see, what happened to him is this. He suddenly got success. And he says, Lord, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this, Lord. I don't deserve this. Son. And I think very few people are like that, no? I worked hard. I deserve what I got. And that's exactly what they keep on telling in every interview. It's hard work. Self-made. Okay. <laughs> what a tremendous lie it is from the pits of hell, no? I. I think, in fact, I believe Many, many actual, if you, if you, why do many successful people give a lot of people, lot of money to charity? Exactly. Because they know that what they got actually they didn't deserve it. There are so many people who are better than you. Why should you be successful? Why should you be having all the money in the world? Oh, my talent, my hard work, my success, really? I'll show you so many people who are much more talented than you have, who haven't had the opportunity. It was the hand of God over your life. Do you realize that? And suddenly, what Peter says, Lord, I see this. It's interesting, when he becomes rich, he realizes the poverty in his spirit. That's remarkable. What a tremendous uh, lesson for us to learn. It is when we are most successful, it is when we are blinded the most. When Peter is more successful than he is op- when he sees himself the most, that he doesn't even uh, deserve any of the least of God's mercies. That's exactly how Jacob comes to the point in his life after several knocks on his head. 
I don't even deserve the least of all your mercies. In, uh, in Genesis chapter 32, if I'm right, when he's, when he's uh, having this confrontation with God. And he knows that Esau is on the way. Huh? See? And then he, how many times does he bow himself down? Seven times. How many times does uh, Naman go into the waters? Seven times. Seven times you have to humble yourself. Number Perfect humbling has to happen in your life. Depart from me, O Lord. I'm a sinful man. For he and all who are with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. Meaning, they toil all night. I mean, they would have, if 10 or 15 fish would have come, sufficient for the day. Think about it. What would I have said? Okay, thank you. Thank you for helping us. Now, this is something which they didn't deserve. They know it. That is what grace is. No? Something which you don't deserve. Just lavishes. You know what the word for prodigal means? Waste. Okay, what is prodigal living means waste. There is one father who is a prodigal father. You know who that prodigal father is? God. He wastes his love upon us. 1 John chapter 3 verses 1 to 3. If you know this verse. 1 John chapter 3 verses 1 to If you can, yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you, can you just put it in the NIV, NLT, all different translations. Bestowed is a little too old. How great is the love of the father has. What? Lavished. He wasted it. You are, you are wasting your life in lavish lifestyle. Right? That's what we say. What is this? What, what good is this? I mean, for what good is this waste? Is what we say. So much of money is going for a waste. I'm not saying we should not be good stewards. That's not what I'm talking about. But when God gave, He just wasted, literally, He emptied Himself. He emptied heaven's coffers to buy you. What did He have? What's the greatest treasure on earth? Himself. He emptied the bank, bank account of heaven to give you, to buy you Baba. That's what he says in Isaiah chapter, in Psalm 14 and the verses, right? What price can you give for the redemption of the soul? It's so costly that a man should be redeemed and not see death. It's impossible. It's impossible. And what does God do? How much do we have in a bank? Let's empty it, man. Boy, what manner of love the Father has lavished. That's exactly what God does to Peter. He lavishes on him. The stung God. 10, 15 fish, okay. <laughs> Sufficient for the day, okay. But what is this, Lord? I don't deserve this. He sees it. And he says, Lord, depart from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. He realizes the poverty of his spirit. And he says, blessed is the man who's poor in the spirit. For what is your, what is it? For yours is the kingdom of heaven. He comes to the point in his life and he says, Absolutely nothing. And what about sanctification? How, who are those people who can continuously be sanctified? Romans chapter 7 and verse 18 onwards. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, N-O-T-H-I-N-G, Nothing. Nothing good dwells. What a, what is a, what is a, what a, it's a sweeping statement, boss. Take my intelligence, for example. Prize student of Gamaliel. Pharisee of the Pharisees. 
useless. Absolutely nothing. Nothing. Nothing good in me. And no wonder this man was the most sanctified of all the saints, right? He was so humble that he could confront Peter. I like that statement. He was so humble that he could confront Peter. And genuinely humble people can genuinely confront. Must not. You don't confront for confrontation's sake, no. You are wanting to win your brother over. Genuine. We humble people who come to the point where they are so, what do you say, they are not, they don't think about them, that's that, think, think about themselves at all. That's the reason why C.S. Lewis makes a statement, it's not, pride is not thinking great about yourself or less about yourself, pride is thinking about yourself less. How much time do you think about yourself in a day and about God? You, you compare these two, then you know how much of pride or how much of self is there inside of you. And he says, for in me, for to will is present with me, but to perform what is good. Okay, let me see, if, you know, like, like, you know, um, uh, in every, any tennis match, for example, if you watch tennis, there will be one crucial game. It is going deuce and advantage, deuce and advantage and deuce and advantage. If he breaks that game, the other guy breaks that game, he wins the match. Literally, or the wins the set, depending upon the situation of the match. And what this guy who's serving has to do, he has to dig in deep <laughs> and find resources to overcome that period of, you know, onslaught. And, 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 and the commentators use this word, the Federer threw the kitchen sink at Nadal. Whatever he had, he threw at him and Nadal had to dig deep to find resources in order to win this game or win this set or win this match depending upon the course wherever the match is. And for example, last match that he won in the US Open, boy, he thought, I thought it was going to be a steam, uh, he would steamroll, what's this guy? That guy's name, I forget his name. Yeah, the Russian guy, Russian dude, no? Not Djokovic. Not Djokovic. Russian dude, forget his name, the last US Open. But it went to a five-setter and it says, in the headlines, okay, it says, uh, Nadal had to dig deep. You know that stadium is called the Billie Jean Stadium, the central center court of uh, US, US, uh, US Open. It's called the Billie Jean Stadium. And you know what the statement, Billie Jean is an old, uh, very veteran tennis player. She made a statement, pain is privilege. What a statement that is. I mean, I, I looked at that statement, I always get fired up. You know, Pain is privilege. That means those guys who are fighting over there uh, are privileged because pain is privilege. Anyway, that's not the point. He says, he has to dig deep. And look at what he says. Paul says, I want to dig deep now, deep down into the resources to see if I have any resources in me that will make me please God. And you know what I found? Nothing. I just started digging deep. Let me just go on fast. Let me just go on fast and pray. Let me just perfect myself in the flesh. Let me just, you know, sleep with naked women. That's exactly what Gandhi did, by the way. To see if he could get tempted. He wrote it honestly in his book called the Exper- My Experiments with Truth. And what did I find? Nothing. But the will is there. But the resources to perform? Nothing. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Blessed is the man who comes to this point every day of his life. Or is brought to this point at some point in his life. Or regularly in his life. For yours is the 
There's a kingdom attitude, my brother. How to perform what is good, I do not find. And then, he goes on to say, for the good that I will to do, I do not do. <laughs> but the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now, if I do, what I will not do, will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin who dwells in me. And then he goes on to say, I find then a law that, that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do. Uh, I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I find in my members war, another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into the captivity to the law of sin and death, which is in my members. And then verse 24, oh, wretched man that I am, that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ. You see, he has come to the point. Who will deliver me from this point, this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ. And then chapter 8 will say, you know what it says, how it starts? Now, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God has done by sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law can be fulfilled in me who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. That is the reason why be filled with the spirit. Don't be drunk with wine. But be filled with the Spirit. That's what he tells Galatians. You started in the Spirit. Now you're trying to be made perfect in the flesh. You think you have the resources inside of you? How foolish. Who has bewitched you? Oh, you foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you? That you started off in the Spirit and you're trying to be complete in the flesh. You have no resources. You'll be absolutely bankrupt without God. Absolutely bankrupt. You'll always fall short of the glory of God. Even the sanctification work is a total, absolute dependence. Oh Lord, I can't live this life. First of all, Lord, I can't do it. I can't minister. I can't preach. I can't. I may be able to use my gift of preaching, but I am so absolutely bankrupt that I cannot represent your heart unless you speak to me. Nothing. And what if, if I have generated anything of the flesh, it's dead. It will only bring death and not life. What a tension, no? What a tension. For a man of God. This has to be his constant tension. Lord, I should not go there. Unless and until you. I know that you have spoken to my heart. So second. First. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Let us look at another one. Matthew chapter 5. Verse 17. Onward. 17 to 20. Do not think that I came to destroy the law and the prophets. I did not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. That's, what, that's exactly what it, he says in Romans chapter 3. Do you think that we have come to abolish this law? No way. We have come to fulfill it. For it is by same faith, the uncircumcised and the circumcised, both are justified. You don't have to go there. That could be a different sermon altogether. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy but to fulfill. For assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one yacht or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till it is all fulfilled. And he says, whoever therefore breaks one of the least, if you can please put it in the ESV from here onwards. 
Yeah. Who <laughs> are there for <laughs> relaxes? One of the least of these commandments. I don't think there is any least commandment. I think Jesus is just using a hyperbole. There's nothing called least. Lies, least, murderous, big. No, I think both are the same. Both deserve what? Eternal condemnation. Huh? Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does, does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And then, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. What a phenomenal statement. You will... By no means, it says in other translations, you will never enter the kingdom of, kingdom of heaven. Meaning, your righteousness has to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. And what do you think the righteousness of the Pharisee? Paul says, when it comes to the righteousness according to the law, I am blameless. That It has to exceed that. It has to exceed that. Yeah, absolutely. Tension. <laughs> yeah. Philippians chapter 3, verse uh, 4 onwards. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so circumcised on the eighth day. Stock of Israel, tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is of the law, Blameless. How many things? Six. And have fallen short. There's one rich young ruler and there's Apostle Paul. Both are in the same boat. But what things were gained to me? These I have counted. Lost for Christ. And verse 9. Yeah. And be found in him not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Now, what is this righteousness? I mean, we can we'll, we'll look at it in different different contexts. But I want to I want to point out a few things which I believe will give us insights into practically what these are. If we turn to Matthew chapter twenty three, verse twenty three. You know this is a this is a chapter on Pharisees, right? Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin. Boy, how much of cumin do we have today? I mean, he goes to the spices section, and he by weight because spices are by weight, Baba. Okay, by weight he takes a tenth of every of the spice, and he pays tithe. And what does he do? He neglects the weightier matters of the law. What are they? Justice, mercy and faith. Meaning, what does a Pharisee do? He majors on the minors. That's what it means. What is the righteousness? What, what should, how should your righteousness exceed that of the Pharisee? You should be a major in justice. The word in the Hebrew is mishpat. The translated word. Mishpat or Shafat, the one who judges himself by the standards of God. That is what he is looking at. He is looking at his life 
and he's comparing himself to Jesus. Behold, I lay in Zion a stone. Proverbs chapter 11 verse 1. You know that, right? Verse very well. Look at, look at that verse. Proverbs chapter 11 verse 1. <laughs> Dishonest scales are an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight, a complete weight, the word for weight is stone, is his delight. And who is the stone? Jesus is the stone. Behold, I lay in Zion a stone, a rock of offense. Is an offense. Why? You have to come and compare yourself to this stone. And see your weight. Let us, let us see if they are balanced. That is what justification means. Both sides are balanced. It's, a, it's essentially a, an accounting term. Accounts are settled. Auditor gives a report. He's called the Holy Spirit. You are sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. It's right. You've been justified by faith and sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. Justified. Accepted. You have been weighed and found wanting. And all of us have been found wanting. Why? Because we do not look at the weightier matters of the law, which actually have weight. All the other things are fluffy on the other side. What are this tithe about cumin? Oh, man, think about it. How much should we tithe? Gross income? Net income. What are you doing? What are you doing? He emptied his bank balance to um, the bank balance in, in heaven to, to purchase you, and you're thinking about how much to give? What is this? Can you imagine? The people say you should not even tithes are old covenant. So how much do you give? Less than ten percent? Huh? Oh, what are you free to give? Oh, whatever I can give cheerfully. Oh, your you can cheerfully only give five percent of your income. Uh huh. And you say you're a born again believer in the new covenant. Really? What are you talking about? What are you talking about? See, there is no law. I understand that. The law is not for less giving. It is for more. You see, what are you doing? What are you doing? How, how do you, that's exactly the reason why it says their poverty was turned into liberality. They not only gave in, according to their means, but beyond their means. We'll come to that later on. But just think about this. Just wait is his delight. What When you compare yourself to God, where do you stand? That is the reason why can you find Christ in you? Christ in you is the hope of glory. If at all Christ is not in you, what are you? Reprobates. If Christ is not found in you, you are a reprobate. You have denied the faith. So, what are their, their concern is mishpat, meaning they don't judge themselves the way God wants to judge them, or God wants them to judge themselves. For example, I mean, we looked at it in several contexts, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1, 2, 3, and 4. Actually, verses uh, 3 onwards, you can read. Okay, let a man consider, but it with me, okay, verse 3 onwards, but with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. 
In fact, I do not even judge myself. Meaning, I also don't sit on my seat of judgment. Okay, I don't say, okay, Savash Paul, kya baat hai? You're doing great. For I know of nothing against myself. In as far as my conscience and my conscience since is concerned, I don't know anything of myself. I don't think I've done anything wrong to anybody. But you know what? It doesn't mean that I don't have blind spots. I do have. For I know of nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. So he's telling the Pharisees, Pharisees, weightier matters of the law is justice, Baba. Do you judge yourself, Pharisee? In the light of what you have seen? You have seen me now. What are you going to do? Are you going to fall on me? And be crushed? And take my righteousness by faith? (laughs) So what do, what do you do? You do not judge yourself. The weightier matter of the law is judging yourself. So you know what? Once you judge yourself, what you automatically extend is what? Because you know that you need mercy, right? Immediately you will extend mercy. Because mercy triumphs over justice. Immediately you will say, Baba, I need mercy, Lord. So what God, you know what God does here? God says, you extend mercy. First start extending mercy to everybody. Come on, come on, come on. Do it immediately, right now. But with me, it is a very small thing. I know of nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this. By this, by, but, uh, but he who j- judges me is the Lord. That is the reason why it says, you know what? Those who compare themselves with themselves, we don't need recommendations, letter, letters of recommendation from you. He says, <laughs> if God does not give me a recommendation letter, you see, there are two courts during the time of Ahab. One, the human court, where Jehoshaphat and Ahab are sitting on kingly robes. And there is a court in heaven. I saw the Lord seated on the throne. You see, you. I mean, maybe next time I'll do a... Uh, 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 do a study on God seated on the throne. It's a, it appears about six or seven times in the Bible. It's a very interesting study. God sitting on the throne and he's judging. It's fun uh, for the spirit and tension for the flesh. Okay. <laughs> to see those words are really, really, really powerful. Okay. And what does God say? Who will convince this fellow to go to Ramad Gilead? I want to finish him off. And all, okay, give me counsel. I mean, like, who can give counsel to the Lord? But no, the Lord is asking counsel, no? It's interesting. Who will convince me? Who will convince Ahab? Who will convince Ahab? He has to go to Ramad Gilead. Everybody is giving their, their, uh, two mites, whatever, huh? We'll do this, we'll do that, we'll do this. All the angels are giving him counsel. And Lord is saying, okay, okay. And then, one lying spirit will come. I'll go and I'll become a lying spirit in the prophets. And the fellow will be convinced. You know why? Because you never judged yourself in the light of the Lord. One day, because you did not receive the love of truth, what will God send you? A strong delusion that you should believe a lie. What a tremendous judgment on the people who don't judge themselves. How weightier matters of the law. Justice, mercy and faith. That is the reason why, unless you are, your life is centered around justice, mercy and faith, your righteousness is not exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. I'm just pointing out a few. There's several things in the entire passage. If you read, you'll have a heart attack. So I don't want to do it. Okay. We will have heart attack in increments. 
<laughs> and then verse 25. Okay, yeah, yeah. So, these you ought to have done without leaving the others. I'm not saying that you should not pay your tithes. Some people don't even pay their tithes. Without leaving the others. And then blind guides. You strain out a gnat and you swallow a camel. Kya baat hai? You strain out one gnat. You have you seen the comb? When you take the lies out of your... One thing you just... That, that, that thing is in the comb. Strain that fell out. Yeah, the, you see Jesus, he spoke that. Three days you said destroy this temple. And I, I mean, two days, within three days you destroy this temple, I'll rebuild it. He spoke against the temple. So, I know because of envy. Because of envy. What are you doing? You are swallowing a camel and straining on a gnat. Looking for loopholes where you can find loopholes in other people's character. Do you have that attitude? Do we have a fine tooth comb? No, let's go back and comb and comb. Something will find some dirt. That's exactly what they're doing to President Trump, no? Poor, 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 poor man. I don't know much, but this is exactly what I see. Media is going over and over, going to his past records, previous records, all records, straining out an at. And swallowing a camel called the US. That's an attitude. It's a scribe attitude. When we have this, what do you call this, uh, this evil desire inside of us to find fault in others. Where will this fellow fall? I'm waiting. I'm waiting. Ha <laughs> I know. I know. I found you, fellow. I, you are acting as if you are very, very holy, no? No, I found you. See? Nice happened. And when they can't find loopholes in their character, they get free. Jealous of him. That's exactly what Ahitophel does to David, right? So looking for opportunity. Okay, God has forgiven. Where can I find a loophole? No. Straining out a gnat to swallow a camel. My dear brothers, the deadly attitude. Deadly attitude. And then verse 25. Let's read from verse 25. Woe to you scribes and Pharisees. All hypocrites. Okay, hypocrites. <laughs> That's the Indian way of pronouncing, okay, South Indian way of pronouncing hypocrite, okay. In other words, people with a mask, actors, Hollywood, stars. For you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of extortion and self-indulgence. You know, extortion means by force, taking things by force from somebody. Give it. If you don't send to my ministry, you, I will curse you. Paul says, don't give me first. If you think that giving giving me, it will be a blessing to you, then only give. In fact, let me tell you, let me, let me be honest. He says, he's without, without any guile or hypocrisy or any, what we call uh, uh, self-consciousness, he says, you know what, in fact, giving to my ministry is a blessing to you. If you don't want to give, it's up to you. No force. Nothing. No compulsion at all on anybody. Any, anybody. I can demand, but I would rather die. 
Very morning. That's what he says in one, one, one Corinthians chapter nine. If I have to, you know, if if the, the, if, the, if the, I don't want to take away the reason for my boasting, I would rather die. Preaching the gospel free of cost is his salary. Kya baat hai? Woe to God, we find such men. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup, but you inside are full of extortion. You force people. That's exactly what happens. So Paul, Peter, you know, some, some churches, they keep calling their congregation, send, send tithes. Two, three months you have not sent. Then you have all assistant pastors. What, what are they? Assistant pastors. What is their job? Oh, taking Bible study? No, 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 no. House visits. Bible study is different from house visits. You know that, right? Yeah, exactly. Haven't paid your tithe. It's called house visit. I'm coming to pray and to get. So what will that fellow do? Oh, pastor is coming. I have to give something. So this, in these last days, extortioners. And how do they look outside? Oh, we are blessed. And what are you full of? Indulgence, self-indulgence and extortion. It says, blind Pharisee, blind Spasunadaniko, first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish. He is not saying that outside should not be clean. First the inside, that the outside of them may be clean also, because it's from the abundance of your heart the mouth speaks. Everything comes from the heart. Out of the mouth, out of the heart comes evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, thefts, murders, 13 things. You know that, right? Thera. Mm-hmm. Like I remember the first time Pastor preached on this. Thera. Thera sins. 13 sins. That fellow has to die. It is called Edom. What did Edom say? Smash it to the wall. What what we should do? We are not supposed to do. We have to do spiritual violence also. We should take all those things which are coming out of our belly, from our womb of sin, and do this and smash it to the wall called Jesus Christ, the Rock. Dead men's. So, full of extortion. If we turn to Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 2 onwards. Verse 1 onwards, actually, you can read this. My God, it's one of the scariest statements. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God to the shepherds of Israel. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? What a statement! And then, you eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the flock. The weak you have not strengthened, nor have you healed those who are sick, nor bound up the broken, nor brought back what was driven away, nor sought what was lost. Look at this. But with force and cruelty you have ruled over them. What is What are the fivefold ministry of the shepherd first? To strengthen the weak. Second, Heal those who are sick. Then to bind up the broken. Bring back those people who are driven away. And to seek that which was lost. This is the fivefold ministry of the shepherd. You have this kind of an attitude. You have to win this fellow back to the Lord. You have to bring back those people who have been driven away from the church. <laughs> Literally. 
Oh, we don't want to come to church, Baba. For whatever reason, Lord. To heal those who are sick, to bind up those people who are broken. Strengthen those who are weak. And what, do that, what are you doing? But you are, but with cruelty and with force, you have ruled them. With force and cruelty. What is the reason why he says, to the elders who is among you, I, the fellow elder, exhort you as a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also the partaker of the glory that is going to be following. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, exercising oversight. Not under compulsion, but willingly. Not for filthy lucre, but uh, without expecting anything. Not being lording over the flocks of God, but being examples to the flock of God. And when the chief shepherd comes, you will receive a crown that will never fade away. The glory, the crown of glory. With force and with cruelty, you extorted. And we have shepherds like that all over the place. They are not shepherds. They are thieves, it says. They are hirelings. What do, what do hirelings do? When they see the wolf coming, they run for their lives. So, what are we interested in? To strengthen those who are weak? To heal those who are sick? To bind up those people who are broken? To bring back those people who are driven away? And to seek that which was lost? Which of you, he says, which of you, which of you, which of you? If he has one lost sheep, will not go after that. But it's a commitment. Once you have committed, that's it. Okasar commitment Yeshindrahata. No taking back. Like I remember Pastor talking to me and Eric no during our ordination. Vijay and Eric, do you love him more than these? Feed my sheep, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. Okay, the last one, 27, Matthew, chapter 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs. We can call it, you are like Taj Mahal's. So what do you do, no? When you go to Taj Mahal, remove your shoes. What is this, Ray Baba? He had so many wives, that fellow. One wife he supposedly loved more than other wives. That itself is a big sin. And it is a dim symbol of eternal love. What? What are you talking about? And what did you do in the process? You cut off and chopped off the hands of those people who built that place. So that such a temple, such a place, such a monument cannot, can never be erected again in the human history. It's love. It's love. And you pay through your nose to go there. Oh, symbol of eternal love. The symbol of eternal love, that tomb is empty. You go to Israel, that's an empty tomb. It's life. Eternal life is there. And what are you full of? Whitewashed tombs. Indeed, appear beautiful outwardly. The 
تاج محل واہ تاج بولیے حضور تاج محل چائے بھی ہے نا یوسلس برانڈ
And blessed are you. If you are persecuted for righteousness sake. First Peter chapter 3. Verses 13 onwards. And 13 or 14 onwards. Okay, And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer, suffer, you see that? For righteousness sake, you are blessed and do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. And in fact, they'll be, they'll threaten you in different, different ways. Some will be silent threats. Some will be vocal threats. But they are threats. So what do you choose? The flesh or the spirit? Or the flesh, spirit or the flesh? Spiritual relationships or fleshly relationships? What is your choice? As for me, the saints are in the land are the what ones? Excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Even if you think that the saints are really people who tire you up or trouble you, they are the excellent ones no matter what. Because you know what? You're not looking at their current situation. You are looking at their end and one day they will be the excellent ones in as far as God is concerned. But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats. Nor be troubled. You will be. I mean, this is quoting directly from Isaiah chapter 8, by the way. And let's move on. Verse uh, 15. But sanctify the Lord, your God, in your hearts. And always be ready to give a defense or apologia to everyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. But do it with meekness and with fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, they will defame you. Those who revile your good conduct where? In Christ may be ashamed or put to shame. Yeah. Amazing. Very straightforward. Don't have to. What should you do but? Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And always be ready to give an answer. To give a defense to everyone who asks for you for a reason for the hope. Isaiah chapter 8 actually. Let's read from verse 8. Sorry. Chapter 8 verse 11 onwards. <coughs> I like that. For the Lord spoke thus to me with a strong hand. And what did he do? He instructed me. I like that. (laughs) Instructed me that I should not walk in the way of this people saying what? Do not say a conspiracy. Concerning concerning all these people's call a conspiracy. Now we know there is a huge conspiracy called the coronavirus conspiracy. Don't be afraid. Nor be afraid of their threats. Now we know it's a 5G conspiracy, coronavirus conspiracy, so many conspiracy theories floating in the air. But don't worry about that. Nor be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. Exact same words quoted in First Peter chapter 3. The Lord of hosts, him you shall hallow. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. That's what I told you, right? And then go on. He will be as a sanctuary, but a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel, as a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And among them shall many stumble, and they shall fall and be broken and be snared and be taken. And But you, what you should do? Bind up the testimony, seal the law among my disciples, and I will wait on the Lord who hides his counsel from me. But it says, sanctify the Lord among you. And where did it say? Actually, uh, verse 14 in, uh, in, in, in IV, if you will, please, uh, show me ES, ESV and NIV. Verse 14. 
and he will become a sanctuary. So where does it say? Sanctify the law among you. Hold on, please. Isaiah chapter 8. Mm-hmm. Verse 13, actually. Yeah, verse 13. That's enough. Do not call a conspiracy. 13, 13, 13. 1, 3, 1, 3. Yeah. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall regard as holy. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 28. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 28. You will be persecuted for righteousness sake, but do this. Do not be, do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and the body in hell. So first thing we looked at, blessed are those who are poor in the spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Second, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees, you will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Third, we say, blessed are you if you are persecuted for righteousness sake and yours is the kingdom of heaven and fourth one we look at Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21 Matthew chapter 7 verse 21 not everyone who says to me Lord Lord shall enter into the kingdom of heaven but he who does the will of my father which is in heaven this is the one who enters into the kingdom of heaven he who does the will of the father which is in heaven do not love the world or the things in the world. For the world and its fashions are passing off. But he who does the will of God. What does he do? Abides forever. Does the will of God. Abides forever. And what is the will of God? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 1, 1, 1, 2 and 3. This is the will of God. Okay, The quintessential will of God from which every other will of God comes. Yeah. Now therefore, uh, four, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Finally, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more just as you received from, from us how you ought to walk and to please God. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus Christ. For this is the will of God, your what? Sanctification. Everybody say sanctification. Baba. This is the will of God. That, that, that is the reason why. Sanctify the Lord of your God in your hearts and be ready to give an answer to everyone who is uh, who asked for you for the reason for the hope which is in you. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immoral, immorality. And then he says, verse 4, he makes a very powerful statement, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, but that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter because the Lord is the avenger of all such as we also forewarned you and testified. For God did not call us to uncleanness but to holiness. Not to uncleanness but to holiness. So what do we do? Second Corinthians chapter 7 verse 1. Therefore having these promises beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and the spirit. And what do we do? Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. You see? 
perfecting holiness. Very straightforward. Okay. But how do we do this? How do we understand? First, this is the will of God, your sanctification. This is what we call as the general will of God. But how do we uh, get the specific will of God for our lives? First, there's a preparation. There is a spending. And there's a redeeming. What did I say? There's a preparation. There is a spending. And there's a redeeming. I'll tell you what are, what these are. Turn to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. We know this very well. I beseech you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is a reasonable service. Okay? Holy and acceptable to God. Your bodies. Sanctify yourselves. That's what you said. This is the will of God, your sanctification. That you should know how to possess your own best body in vessel, in honor, in sanctification or in holiness and in purity. Okay? And do not be conformed to this pattern, to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove that which is good, that is honorable. Good means honorable. That which is acceptable. Which, which is pleasing to God, which is acceptable to God. And the third thing, which is the perfect will of God. First, this is what I call as preparation. What do you say? Preparation. Okay. That means prepare your mind. You should have a kind of a, what we call as a spiritual disposition for the will of, for the will of God to be spoken into your life. And only when you have this kind of a spiritual, uh, uh, what do you say? Disposition to the will of God when God can speak that will into your life and when He speaks that will into your life and when you do the will of God into your life, you know what, what that becomes? That becomes your food. My food is to do the what? The will of God. I have food that you don't even know of. When he is doing the will of God, he is not even hungry. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And man shall be strong when he eats the will of God as his food. That is when ministry becomes a nourishment and not punishment. Otherwise it's, oh, so much of work I am doing. If it is the will of God, it's not a waste. It's nourishment. That is the reason why he looked, both, uh, Joe, uh, what's his name, Jonathan, Joshua and Caleb, they tear their clothes and they say, these giants will be what for us? Fodder for us. They're food for us. Let us go and possess the promised land. Okay? Have a spiritual dis- dis- disposition. Second, what did I say? Spend and redeem. What should we spend? We should spend time knowing the will of God. What we call as spending chronos and redeeming kairos. That's a very important thing. God is not going to give you those spiritual interjections. Kairos means when God intervenes into your life. Those interjections were divine visitations where God literally changes the course of your life, right? What we call as unless and until you spend those chronos moments with God, you will never be able to redeem your kairos moments. It's like, you know, going to metro, supermarket. You shopped and shopped and shopped for three, four months continuously or maybe for six or seven months and then finally one day you go and you're going to the ticket counter or to the billing counter and that guy swipes your account and he says, sir, you have accumulated quite a number of points. Do you want to redeem them? Oh, how much do I have? So you spent 10,000 rupees, you have a 6,000 rupees discount. Oh, interjection, my dear. It's called, what is called as divine kairos inter- redemption. But how did you, how were you able to redeem those uh, 6 or 5,000 rupees? Because you spent money in Metro. Okay. David spent time with God in the wilderness. Okay. 
writing, reading, meditating. Blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. All these are Davidic Psalms, by the way. Psalm 2 is what? Davidic. All these are David Psalms of the 79 of the 150 Psalms. My goodness, half of the Psalter. Bro, half of the Psalter written by a king, a layman. It was not a professional uh, evangelist or a uh, speaker or uh, whatever it is, no? His, his son was a speaker. That's the reason why he called himself Ecclesiastes, the speaker, the preacher. The speaker of the house. But he was not. He was a worshipper. He never said vanity, vanity, vanity. Did he say that? Nothing. It says David fulfilled God's purpose in his generation and rested. It says after David fulfilled God's purpose in his generation, he rested with his fathers. I beseech you therefore, brethren. Okay. So first, how do we do? We spend time in his presence. And then we redeem the time. So let us look at what it means. How do we do that? First Peter chapter 4. We looked at this in several contexts. But once again, in our context. First Peter chapter 4 verses 1 onwards. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same mind. By the way, this is our weapon. When Nehemiah was building, they had brick in one hand and the weapon in, one, in the other hand. What was their weapon? It was just not the word of God. Yeah, I know, understand the word of God, etc. is your weapon. But another weapon is what? The mind to suffer. To live a holy life. Jesus I know. Paul I know. But who in the world are you? To be known in the spiritual realm is a, is a different level only. Jesus, I know Paul, I know Paul, I know, my goodness, Sansa Skiva, whatever, whatever they were thinking, huh? <laughs> Therefore, he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of the life. Rest of his what? Time. What is the time, Baba, here? Kronos or Kairos? Kronos. You should no longer live the rest of the time in the flesh of the lust of men, but for the will of God, that is the general will of God, purifying, sanctifying himself. Look at the next verse. For we have spent enough of our past chronos again. Lot of past life we have spent in doing all kinds of nonsense. What is that? In doing the will of the Gentiles. When we walked in lewdness and lusts and drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties and abominable idolatries in regard to these, they think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation. What is dissipation? Waste. Or indulgent living. Speaking Evil of you. So what do you do? Don't waste your time. Senseless things. Useless things. Spend time understanding, knowing the will of God. Study to show yourself a prudent to God. A workman that needeth not be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. And if you are a young man, young girl, this is a time that you spend time understanding, studying. You come, you, when you are, when you are, when you are young, when you are below 20 years old, your time goes very slow. When you come to 30, 40, so many of things to do. Taking care of family. Like I, I used to, my, my mentor when he was, when we were growing up, no, in our growing up days, he said, Vijay, this is the time you have to spend studying the word of God. Once you get married and you have children, you do not know where your time is going. This is the time. This is the time when you have so much of time on your hand. Spend your chronos. Spend. Spend literally or invest your time in things of God. So that 
according to Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 15 onwards. See then you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. What should you do? Redeeming the time. This is what? Kairos. This is exactly what David did. One day, day after day, the little, little things, taking care of the sheep, taking care of the sheep, singing psalms, fighting bears, fighting lion. Nobody knows. Unless he tells, by the way. That testimony, nobody knows. Okay. Spending time, spending time, and one day God, his father says, go and see your brothers. That is what we call as what moment? He spent sufficient time, not in drunkenness, idolatries, drinking parties, etc., but taking care of sheep. And that comes to Kairos moment in his life. Several, he has obtained, what is that currency nowadays we call as? Bitcoins, huh? Ah, several bitcoins he has accumulated and one day he's going to redeem them. Yeah, virtual currency. Redeem the time. Redeem the time. You'll redeem. And you know what you'll do? Next verse. Because it is our will, therefore do not be unwise, but understand what? What the will of God is. That day he understood. What is the will of God to fight this fellow? What is, is there not a cause? I just wanted to know how the war is going on. What are you guys doing? Three times you're eating military rations. And Papa also has sent you some extra rations also. What are you doing with the food? <laughs> Describing Goliath. Oh, look at this man. And then he says, is there not a cause? That was a Kairos moment. And after that, the life of David changes, no? What a moment for him. I think several Kairos moments for him. It was like, that, that, I remember that, no? When, uh, Saul wants this guy, somebody to come and play the harp. And one of them says, one of them says, I have seen one of the sons of Jesse playing the harp in the wilderness. He's a very skillful man. Mighty man. Bring him here. And when he plays the harp, think about it. Who's watching what you're doing in your secret? Spending time. How do you spend time? How do you use your time. So, not everybody who says, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven who, who finds the will of God and he does the will of God. And this is the will of God. What is that? First, your sanctification. Second, finding your specific will. And you should have some kind of a spiritual disposition in your life to be able to find what your spiritual, what your uh, specific will is. That is the reason why we have to be called as preparation. And in order to prepare what you should do, you should spend time. So that when you spend time, you can redeem the time and you can understand what the specific will for God, of God for your life is. Do you understand that, everybody? Okay. And the final thing for today. Luke's Gospel, chapter 6, verse 20. Was, uh, um, yeah. Then he lifted up his eyes toward his disciples and said, Blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom. What is this poor? These people are the people who forsook everything to follow God. That is the poor, poor poverty he's talking about. He's not a poverty of the spirit, by the way. Who forsook everything and who are not completely dependent upon God for their daily, daily provision in everything. Blessed are you poor. You forsook everything to follow me. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. Forsaking everything. 
In other words, making yourself poor so that you can gain the kingdom of God. Let me show you examples. Chapter 6, verses 32 to 34. Very interesting. And if you do 32, 32. 12, 12, not uh, 6. Luke's chapter 12, verses 32 to 34. Sorry, I apologize. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Okay? Do not, do not fear, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He's taking, he's talking to his disciples for a second, everything. Sell what you have and give alms. That means, blessed are you, poor. Okay. Provide yourselves money bags which do not grow old, a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, for where no thief approaches, nor mouth, not moth destroys, and then for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Meaning what? Forsake, meaning take all that, the best that you have, and give it to God. Say, Lord, I'm making myself totally Forsaken everything to follow. He who puts his hand on the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of heaven. That's exactly what, what's his name? Elisha did. What did he do? Burned all his bridges back to his past life. Just in case something goes bad, I'll put one yoke of oxen so that I can use that fellow to plow. No, 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 no. Nothing. Cut off all yokes, all the oxen, give a nice meal to everybody, burn everything, follow Jesus, follow Elijah, follow him. That is the ultimate. We are forsaking everything, whatever you have. You know, one of, that is a lifestyle, by the way. It is just not for uh, people who are called to full-time ministry. Everything, what do you, what do you do? You hold on to it, what? Loosely. Very loose. It's not mine, Lord. It's very, very difficult for so many of us because I don't know the kind of backgrounds which, that we have come from, maybe. But blessed are you, poor. For yours is the kingdom of heaven. Why? Why? Let's go back to that place, no? Matthew chapter, uh, Luke's gospel chapter 6, verse 30 onwards. Not 30, uh, verse 20 onwards. And let's finish that and we will stop for the day. Then he lifted up his eyes toward his disciples and said, Blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of he- kingdom of God. And then, or heaven or, God, or of God. Okay, the same. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. But blessed are you when men hate you and when, you, when they exclude you and revile you and cast you out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. <coughs> but, uh, Verse 24. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full, for you shall hunger. Woe, you, woe to you who shall laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. How is your now life? Do you want to have, uh, you know, there's a concept called uh, delayed uh, gratification. Delayed gratification. Okay. I want to be poor now. I want to be hungry now. I want to be empty now. I want to mourn now. I don't want to laugh now. For 
yours is the kingdom of heaven. So this evening, this is morning rather, evening for di- different time zones. Yeah, evening, afternoon, morning. For all of us, attitudes of the kingdom. First attitude, blessed are the poor in the spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Second, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. That's the reason why unless you are converted like little children, you shall not enter <coughs> the kingdom of heaven. Third, blessed are you if you are persecuted for righteousness sake, yours is the kingdom of heaven. Fourth, blessed are uh, sorry, not everyone who says Lord, Lord shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father which is in heaven, you shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. Fifth, blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. So this morning, let's pray and we'll ask God, Lord, continuously, even as we meditate upon your word, every day of our lives, incrementally wrought these attitudes even a little more, O oh Lord, in our lives. Father, we just want to thank you, Father. We want to thank you. We want to thank you. We believe that you have spoken to our hearts. I pray, Father, that, Lord, you would continue to impress these truths into the deepmost parts of our inner man. Change us from inside out. Cause us to walk in your ways. Rot the attitudes of our kingdom in our lives. Thank you, Lord. Commit this day into your hands. Commit all our brothers all around the world into your hands, O Lord. Enable us never to take any of these, any of these meetings for, for granted, O Lord. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would strengthen us in our inner man. And make us strong in the inner man. And make us, Father, worthy of the kingdom of God. We thank you, Lord. We praise you. We worship you. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.